drive, gets inside, leans in, knocked away, it's stolen by Holiday. Now up for the layup, oh, blocked by James. To Curry, way down top, bang, bang. This the This time I'm sick. Zion's gonna want out soon. You I don't think the front office of that organization, of that New Orleans organization, knows what the heck they're doing. What can I say? Mamba out. Hey guys, we're back. This is Quartz of Heat, QuartzofHeat.com, and we're back with another podcast episode. Um, needless to say, it's been a while. Monday to Friday was non-existent for me on the podcasting level, as you guys have noticed, and on the site too. Um, a lot of variables, a lot of factors put in not getting in the podcast episode, like school, like different obligations I have, and so it was really tough to try to make this podcast episode, but you know what? I decided that today was the day and I was going to do it today. It's a Saturday. I'm going to do Sunday special as we talked about last week. Since I was doing it every other week, this is the week that falls on. And yeah, so now you're going to get Saturday through Friday. As I hope to try to make up for all this time. But yeah, that did not help our series either that we were covering. That we were studying going through, but... I do have some more exciting f- series coming up ahead, but we're going to finish this one out. We're going to be on the Northwest Division, our last one in the Western Conference. We last, on our last podcast episode, we talked about the Southwest Division and our first of the, uh, the my apologies, my first podcast episode featuring this series, we talked about the Pacific Division. So that's all I'm going to be doing today. Along with breaking news, we will be talking about, um, for our brand new series, the toughest division, and then we'll break it down in each conference. The The entirety of this goal, like the entirety of this um, series, the main goal is to see in, in each conference Who's the most dominant team out of all the divisions, out of all the teams that we've ranked divisionally and conference-wise? Who is the best team? Who's the toughest in the NBA? So that is what we're going to be answering on the last day of this series. And that will only be four more days. So you just got to get through today's episode, three more episodes, so on the fifth one, we'll finally talk about it. And if I do my math correctly, we should be wrapping it up Wednesday or Thursday. And without um, and without further ado, let's get right into this. Let's jump right into this podcast episode. And that will be starting off with social media. Even though we were not present that much writing for the articles or for the podcast we kept you up to date through social media on twitter instagram facebook tumblr right all those different social media platforms we've got you covered on everything just go to twitter.com slash courtside heat instagram.com slash courtside heat nba facebook.com slash courtside heat um 
tumblr.com slash he Remember, go to the main go to main site, which is courtsiteheat.com. Again, that is courtsiteheat.com. Those are the main websites, social media links, and handles that you have to go to to get the best in breaking news, fast, quick, to the point, and always coming seemingly when the season picks up every single minute, every single hour, etc. I'm excited. I'm excited for the basketball season, right? What's not to be excited? Training camp starts up for most teams on Tuesday in this upcoming week. Um, I've always been a fan of preseason because that means that we're leading into the regular season. That is actually finally going to happen on 19th October in that week of October. I'm excited. I'm excited because we're going to see the Phoenix Suns still have what they did, still have the firepower, what they brought last season, this season. If the Bucks can be the reigning defending champs one, one more time this season, what the Nets have in store, the Lakers, the Thunder, the Bulls especially, and all these different teams. But as we're going for each and every day, and different variables of life and sports are kicking in the high gear. It's actually altering our view on basketball. It's altering the way that players are playing the game, right? Coaches are coaching the game. Franchisers are actually being affected in today's um, era of basketball. So as we've been, as I've been posting about, as we've been going through. One of the things that were interesting that has affected the NBA and where everyone stands is the COVID-19 mandate, the COVID-19 vaccine. I guess I really shouldn't say mandate, but if you guys did not listen to my last podcast episode, all I was saying was that the NBA is not requiring NBA players to get vaccinated. The player association is like, nah, they're fine. Everyone else has to be mandated, but players, they get the free choice to make that decision if they want to put a um, COVID-19 vaccine to their body or not. A uh, new, uh, new study came out or data came out from the NBA that 90% of the league got vaccinated. You heard me correctly. Only 10% has not gotten vaccinated. Can you guess who those two are? For the news that you've been listening to and up until now, it has been Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets and Andrew Wiggins of the uh, Golden State Warriors. And why is that such a huge deal? I'm going to touch on that in a minute, but as I was kept going day by day and I heard that both of these guys should be traded, the Nets were actually interested in trading Kyrie for Ben Simmons, Andrew Wiggins needs to go, I'm like, what's going on here? Andrew Wiggins had a great season last year, uh, so did Kyrie minus all the injuries, minus all the setbacks, what's happening now? And it's actually came down to this man uh, to this mandate in their respective states, which are New York and California. Andrew Wiggins has been denied a religious exemption 
for the COVID-19 vaccine. So what does what does that mean? That means this. If he doesn't get the vaccine, he can't play basketball at San Francisco at home at the Bay. So he can't play that. That is a city-led, state-led mandate. You must be vaccinated to show your vaccine card in order to play the 41 games at home. Same with, um, same with New York. Brooklyn mandated that you must show your vaccine card. You must show proof, evidence that you did take the vaccine and you're not trying to cheat the system by just saying that you are vaccinated, right? And so that came into a tricky situation for Kyrie and for Andrew Wiggins. Those are the only two known players to not have taken the vaccine yet out of the 10% of the 90% that have taken the vaccine. But this is huge because Andrew Wiggins, and we do not know his religion, I certainly don't, but if he was filing for a religious exemption against the COVID-19 vaccine, then he got shut down. My question starts this. How long was he a part of this religion, and should the NBA be imposing this on players? Because the NBA has a choice to say, you know what, we're going to give you this religious exemption. You can bypass the mandate. So if, and I heard this on a podcast, um, on a broadcast on 9, uh, 9, 10 a.m., uh, 9, 10 a.m., and radio, and it was, it was saying, it, this, these guys brought really good points. It was on the afternoon yesterday, and, and it brought up good points, stating Andrew Wiggins, should the NBA be doing this? If he's devout, if he's a um, religious man, if he's a man of faith, and it goes against their strict code, their code of faith, or whatever you like to call it, if it goes against what they believe in, then sure, it would be wrong for the NBA not to give them that. But it always has to be brought into accountability of, is he trying to cheat the system? Meaning, if he just feels like not getting it, and he's not feeling it, that's not a very good religious exemption reason. But it, let's just say if he's Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, uh, Christian, or anything else. Any of those religions, Catholic, like, I don't know what any of those religions altogether believe in when it comes to the COVID-19 mandate or COVID-19 vaccine in someone's mind, in someone's heart. I don't know what they believe in that. So from each person those religions, I can't say if, if Andrew Wayans is one of those or none of those. All I'm saying is this. If he's been this devouted religious person from the time that he was with the Warriors or over the years in his NBA career, like with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they're asking all of these guys, like, hey, has he been practicing in the faith? Has he been practicing what his religion teaches or wants them to go out, what he's been commanded to do? And then if they say yes... Okay, now you have something. If they say no, 
uh, then you also have something, but on a negative end, right? We were never given those details. We were just inferencing on what could have happened. We're just spec uh, speculating on this. But the NBA yesterday in the afternoon evening pretty much said, we're denying religious exemption. It does, it does not meet up. We have to deny it, right? And that means that they're not buying what he's selling. Should that be given as a... Should that be fair? In all honesty, should that be fair? Because here's the thing. I, I also get where the NBA is coming from. Let's just say that he's using this religious thing, this religious exemption, just to point a political narrative or just because it's coming off his feelings. So let's just talk about that real quick. Let's say that he... Uh, gets that religious exemption, but then he drops the religious act. He drops like, oh, um, I'm fine now. I'm changing. Um, or he just says, oh, I'm this now. And really not demonstrated that and he's trying to cheat the system if that makes sense. And I'm not saying that using religion here is cheating the system or anything for religious exemptions. I'm not saying that that is a gateway to bypassing a mandate and I'm not saying that religion should be held accountable for that all I'm saying is this that Andrew Wiggins was denied a religious exemption for the COVID-19 vaccine he was given the consequences get it you get the vaccine or you don't play and if you don't you don't get to play you don't get to play at home and I guess that can also be taken into account of States like New York, Brooklyn, for example, that mandated to where you have to show your vaccine uh, card. You have to get the COVID-19 vaccine. If that is the case, then that means you can't play those games. So if you can't play at home, you can't play at stadiums that require the COVID-19 vaccine, then he's putting his team and himself in a really bad pickle, in a really bad position. So, the main points I'm trying to drive at here is that you either get the vaccine or you have to uh, force a trade or somewhere that does not require a vaccine. Um, take Phoenix, for example. They don't require a vaccine. Take Florida, for example. They don't require a vaccine. Take Texas. I don't believe they require a vaccine. So, it just all depends on the state, city, and team, right? Brooklyn took the precautionary steps. So did uh, California. Should they be mandating uh, COVID-19 vaccines? I am not here to debate that. I'm not here to argue that. It is whatever the science says and whatever our local governments, our local officials say about that. So, I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to try to uphold that. All I'm saying is that... It's either playtime or no time for Andrew Wiggins. And it now makes sense in my brain why the Warriors are now in a tough situation. Why all of these basketball experts, NBA experts are saying, trade Andrew Wiggins today, right now, do it. It's because in my, in what I'm getting at from the COVID-19 mandate and the COVID-19 vaccine that he's not willing to participate in, that he's willing not to do. We can also break this down to Kyrie Irving. How would this affect 
his trade stock because let's say it gets traded. I'm not going to use the Phil example because we've used that before, not in this scenario, but as a whole, just in basketball realms, right? Uh, what happens if some teams might not take him because they want to be 100% or close to 100% at the vaccine rate, or they may not want him because of local officials mandating that vaccine or starting state policies or stadium policies, team policies, right? Whatever it may be, I'm just using those as examples. So that can affect him negatively there too. But it's also like if you get rid of Kyrie, let's say you add Ben Simmons, are you helping or hurting your uh, championship contention, your playoff contention? It's obviously that Sean Marks, Kevin Durant, um, and everyone else within that organization does not want to see Kyrie go. This is their best chance, this Brooklyn organization, to get a shot at a championship, to have contention in the playoffs for a championship. Like, they don't want to pass this up, but they're also like, what's going to convince Kyrie? And Kyrie's never filed a religious exemption I'm aware of. He's, he hasn't filed anything yet. He hasn't said anything. And who knows what Kyrie could be thinking. He he could be trying to protect his body. He could be just saying, you know what? I don't want to get COVID-19, but I also want to put this vaccine in my body. Which is totally understandable and totally acceptable. Right? It's his decision. But also... The team's decision and the local officials' decision, uh, local officials' decision to say, "Look, don't get the vaccine. You can't play. You can't play in Brooklyn. I'm sorry. You would be contagious and you would spread COVID to other players if you were a contact. If you were, what's the word? If you're a spreader, right? And we can keep talking about if that's." It just bell different codes things and whatnot. But thinking about basketball related, that's gonna hurt. That's gonna impact him and Brooklyn. Money wise, he's set. Achievements wise, he's won a championship. He's highly notable, noted in this league. So if he he said he was gonna retire if traded away from Brooklyn. So it also comes into play, will he retire? Or was he just saying not to stay? And to me, it's a tricky situation. You either play or you don't. And losing Kyrie and losing Kyrie would be interesting for the Brooklyn Nets and NBA as a whole. Or that would just throw off their entire trajectory in this finals contention, in this championship contention. Imagine what that'll do to the chemistry of that team, to the confidence of that team trying to win an NBA championship, or at least compete for one. And then for the Warriors, they may have to lose them because they're getting some pieces back. I don't know how it's all fooled out, but this is very interesting. So they're part of the 10% that are non-vaccinators. They're not vaccinated, but theirs apply more strictly because of State mandates, city mandates, right? So now, that means that you can be a non-vaxxer in Arizona. Still get to play at home. In California, San Francisco, not that much. Same for Brooklyn. 
same for New York. So you have different perspectives, different viewpoints to look at because you could play basketball at home in a non-mandated state or then in a mandated state for the COVID-19 vaccine. So this is going to be very interesting. Andrew Wiggins and Kyrie Irving have some interesting um, decisions to make. They have some crucial, important decisions to make because they can either sit out this season, don't get their pay, don't play, or they just take the vaccine and see what happens. Uh, it just all depends where they're at logically, spiritually, uh, mentally, right, for this vaccine. Because, as crazy as it may sound, what you put in your body can affect you. And if you're not getting the correct data you want to see, or the correct feelings, or the correct anything, then why take it, why take something to either help or harm your body, or keep it neutral on anything um, besides the COVID-19 vaccine? So this is going to be very interesting. This is going to be very interesting because... This can either change the entire landscape of the NBA. What we could have seen as the dominant three in Brooklyn can become the dominant two and like a faulty Ben Simmons who can't do anything for his life, right? That's going to be very interesting to watch out for. And then would be losing Andrew Wiggins be something of beneficial or not? It's just all how it's going to be. And as training camp comes closer and closer... Especially for the Warriors that take part in training camp Tuesday, like everyone else, majority, I believe. Is there going to be like, okay, who's going to be here, who's not? Sean Mark said he's confident in majority of the team, if not all of them, being fully vaccinated. So, does that mean that Kyrie, that he's hoping Kyrie's going to be vaccinated? Who knows? I say it's everyone's hopes and prayers, right? But who actually knows? Like, who legit knows? So, that's where we're at. That's where we're at in this point in time. You got choices to make. You got choices to make. And the choice is, you take the vaccine, you get to play. You don't, your life's going to be miserable for the NBA. Could you face team pressure? Who am I to say? Who knows? Could you face... Uh, uh, scrutiny, uh, criticism from, uh, the media, um, whatever the media touches in all outlets become toxic. So maybe, right? But who knows? But speaking in basketball sense, it can either help or hurt your team. If you're not there for forty-one games at home, then what the heck's happening? Because Kyrie may miss over 50 games depending where they're at. Depending if he gets the vaccine or not. Which can be very, very interesting and very, very scary for teams that try to make it to the postseason. They're trying to make it to above 500 record. They're trying to make incremental improvements to huge improvements. Right? So it's very interesting. It's very interesting. So everyone has a decision to make. But these two players, known players so far, that have come out against the vaccine, now have to say, do I want to play or do I not want to play? And where does this hurt the team? Where does it hurt the Golden State Warriors and where does it hurt the Brooklyn Nets? And 
and I, if I don't know, I don't know what's in their minds right now. I have no connection to them, but you have to imagine them speaking this within internally and externally on what's the right decision. You have to imagine everyone on those both teams are reaching out to their teammates saying, look, you have a decision. Are you for the team or are you against the team winning? And I'm not saying that's the mentality that they're having. I'm just saying, do you want to win games or do you want to sacrifice games? Do you want to take a take a few shots of the COVID-19 vaccine and you'll be fine and ready to go suit up? Or are you going to run the risk and just try to cost yourself money in games because of a personal choice? Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? And it's all going to be determined before or maybe even right at the regular season. Just who knows? But I think this story is going to unfold more. But that's how I want to open up this podcast. Talking about this because this has been a critical topic it's been a huge topic, especially after Angel Wiggins was denied the religious exemption. So, moving on to more devastating news. If you are the Chicago Bulls, how do you feel about Patrick Williams? Well, Billy Donovan, I don't know. Patrick Williams could be your favorite or couldn't. Or you're really excited for Patrick Williams. But you're going to have to wait a little bit. As he's going to be out for the start of the season for four to six weeks with a severe ankle sprain. The guy who averaged nine points, four rebounds, and almost two assists per game in 71 games for his rookie debut. Which are solid numbers under the under the head, coach, head coaching of Billy Donovan is going to be missing the first few games of the opening opening season, the first few opening games of the season. That's without question, because four to six weeks, we're in training camp, and we're only like three weeks away from the NBA tip-off, or something like that, about less than a month. So for that, it's going to be interesting, as this team's trying to make something out of a is out of an interesting season last season. Out of an interesting season last year. They have new pieces. They have new faces. They have reoccurring faces. But how does that affect without Patrick Williams? Because Patrick Williams is their power forward. Is their new small forward, right? They got rid of Lori Markkinen. They added in our piece. But they also gained some new pieces draft-wise, and player-wise. So, with that being said, it hurts that he's going to be out. But from here, we'll just see how preseason goes and the opening season. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bulls need him more. I just think this is what's going to happen. That we'll be seeing the Bulls come out fire hot with or without Patrick Williams. I sense how it's gonna I sense how it's gonna be it. I think they'll get over this and I think they'll really like the contribution that Patrick Williams will have when he's official on the court. But until then, that's what we're gonna be seeing. No Patrick Williams and I fear he's gonna be out about five to six weeks, hopefully, because severe ankle sprains hurt. 
I have ankle sprains. I had ankle sprains before, but not as bad as severe. And severe could take some time to heal, especially when you're running up and down this course and you're relying on your ankles, relying on your feet, relying on those legs, not to wear down, not to tear down, not to break up, right? To stay strong, stay sturdy, stay healthy, right? And that's all to ask for coming off a severe ankle injury. So that is something that we have to monitor and something that we're going to have to keep an eye on, keep an um, ear on and just say, you know what? If I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, do I still value my season as the same or does it go down? Does it go up a little bit? That's what we're going to have to see come out of training camp, during training camp, during preseason, after preseason, in the regular season when the opening games are being played and when Patrick Williams makes his return. That's how we have to review it, right? And that's how we have to keep it. So... Speaking about Patrick, I mean, sorry, speaking about Ben Simmons earlier, speaking about him for the past few podcast episodes because, A, we may not have anything else better to talk about, and B, he's been taking out the media's attention because why not? That is what Ben Simmons does. And no, we were not watching highlights of him missing shots the entire time. No, this is actually trade interest. The Timberwolves, Cavaliers, and even the Nuggets have trade interest for Ben Simmons as Philly, the Philadelphia 76ers want him gone as soon as next week. Like, there's no comeback. Ben Simmons knows the reality. He could be suspended from his Tarpe season if he holds out. And because he's not going to report to any media days, um, no training camp, no preseason, no regular season, no practices, no nothing. And he knows that's what can happen. So, Doc Rivers still like, oh, we can still win a championship with him. No, you can't. You guys would have done it earlier. Because, like, within year four, four or five now with him. Feels like thousands of years, right? But, it's also one of those things to where Ben Simmons has done self-destruction but also self-reviving i get i guess you can say that because ben simmons is getting tons of um interest unless there's something that we don't know and these like free teams like the Cavs, nuggets and Amber wolves all have things that are like oh we can rebuild him we can rebuild his shot we can make him better we can make him just a better mediocre defensive player if that's their mentality, then by, go ahead. By far, just do what you do and just try to fix them. Because Ben Simmons would actually work with Minnesota. There's our talents there. You're not relying on Ben Simmons only. You can't build this team around Ben Simmons. So, if Minnesota gets them, you have to build it around your core players and have Ben Simmons come in the background and have some pick-me-up moments, Right? But for him to have this much interest while he's being uh, being an arrogant jerk, uh, being a little brat, is quite amazing. And that's not me trying to bash the guy. That's not me trying to put him down. But he's brought his on to himself. He's brought in the positivity and negativity, majority of the negativity. Because he's done nothing to improve, nothing to get better during each season, each offseason, each every season, right? Each practice, it's quite sad 
that you had this first overall pick who can't even shoot basketball anymore, who's scared of its own shadow, but still able to secure the bag and able to get all of this ton, tons of money. So it comes into a play. His agent scored him huge deals. Rich Paul scored him huge deals. And Philly fell gullible to that disaster, right? But you know what? There's teams out there that think they can do stuff with Ben Simmons. And the Cavaliers uh, would make a heavy trade offer. They've, there was rumors that came out that the Cavaliers would go all in for Ben Simmons. That could include Colin Sexton because Darius Garland, if you remember, was off limits from any of those trades. But they were open to uh, Colin Sexton being traded. Same with Kevin Love. Same with draft picks, cash. They would go all in for Ben Simmons. Or then for the Timberwolves. Um, and that's going to our final piece of breaking news. Big Cat, Carl, uh, Carl Anthony... Carl Anthony Towns has probably requested a trade. So you can throw him into the mix. You can say, you know what? We gave all these faithful years to you, all these long, hard years. Just here you go. We're going to fulfill this, and we're going to try to get Ben Simmons. At least we can match the height, not the talent, right? Or they can at least mold him into that. At least sculpt him into something. Because now... What you can say is what we can do here is that, well, if you're Minnesota, you give up Carl Anthony Towns and a few other pieces for Ben Simmons. Could that work out? It could. It could. You just have to give up a lot because Philly wants a lot in return. But would Philly make a few sacrifices to get ready for next week? Probably. I could actually see that. I could see that for sure. But it's also they have to make the right investment, the right moves, not to send back. I just love how so many teams are into this. And who would Denver give up for him? Who would Denver, out of all teams, give up for him? Would they could they wouldn't get rid of Aaron Gordon? They just resigned him, especially not Nikhil Jokic or Jamal Murray. Will we be looking at Will Barn? Tons of draft picks. Austin Rivers, all these different guys, um, Michael Porter Jr. It would be preposterous to get rid of Michael Porter Jr., but if they feel that Ben Simmons is something, then I guess you would give him that good piece, right? Just swing you off, just swing the bag, right? So don't rule that out. But this is interesting. Philly wants him gone. The sleeper is obviously the Nuggets, and then the Timberwolves and Cavaliers are punching it out. I think it would be interesting for the Timberwolves because you would have you, you would have D'Lo to uh, Anthony Edwards. Big Cow would probably be gone, but then Ben Simmons and everyone else within that organization, that would be something interesting. And that would be something interesting to keep your eye on. But then it's also, what do the Cavaliers give up? Would it be Colin Sexton? Obviously, Kevin Love. Would it be Ricky Rubio if they're trying to give up a a backup point guard? Um, would it be tons of draft picks, cash? Like what would it be? Protected all around draft picks. Like what would it be? What would it be? And that's gonna be a question that a lot of people, including myself, will keep on asking and keep on 
interpreting as the days go by because we don't know what's going on. One day everyone can hate Ben Simmons and the next everyone can love him. One day his stock can be down and then the whole world wants him. That's just how it's going to be, it seems like. And that's pretty crazy if you think about it. But that's just how, I guess, the NBA works sometimes with these players. And it starts with Ben Simmons. I guess it goes that he has some of a defensive background, that he's a good defensive player. I don't see all, I don't see all the hype on him, but at least he has some statistics, some skill that can back him up from his poor offensive player, right? But that, to me, is going to be very, very interesting. So, that's, that's where we sit at. That is where we sit at. So, I wouldn't call this a fail or success if a team cashes in on him. Or if the Philadelphia 76ers cashes in on him. It just depends who's going to be the highest bidder. Who's going to be the most valuable to the Philly organization. And how much they hate uh, Ben Simmons enough to get rid of him. Right? That is what we have to look at. That's how we're going to have to view it. But... It's also surprising I want to go back on Carl Anthony Towns secretly requesting a trade. If that is true, then my oh my, does that become something dangerous? I, I want to be surprised. The Timberwolves are making moves. There's been conflicting reports that there's been no indication about him being traded. But then there's rumors saying, oh, he wants a trade. All I know is that he averaged 24, 25 points last season. 10 rebounds and 4.5 assists. He's their main guy. And his stack, his stock is going to be huge. You have to give so much. And I guess they'll value Ben Simmons for that. Or they'll value different pieces. Maybe like Tobias Harris. Maybe like um, maybe all these different guys. It just depends who, if Philly wants him that bad. I would get I would get Carl Anthony Towns over Ben Simmons. Better shooting, better background, better pedigree built up, better defensively, better skill, better muscle, better um, IQ. Pretty much about everything. And he's not drama-filled like Ben Simmons. He's pretty respectful as things go. And he's a pretty solid guy um, on and off the basketball court. I never met him, but um, it never seemed like he got any trouble. And it always seemed like he always put his 100%, 100% out on the court. So that's something to keep an eye on. And it's something that we will be monitoring here at Courts of Hand around the NBA on. Because you just never know. But that also shake up the Timberwolves and the new owners, A-Rod, and someone else when they come in. Because you could be off without your franchise superstar. And you could just be left with your up-and-coming uh, franchise superstar and Anthony Edwards. So that's going to be something really, really interesting to see play out and to see happen if it does. So, with all of that being said... Those were the four pieces, or really three pieces, as one of them were tied into the entire Ben Simmons uh, trade, right? Into the scenarios of Ben Simmons. So, let's continue on. Let's continue on, and let's go to our series. Let's go to the final setting. Let's just talk about the toughest division on this Saturday in the entire NBA 
and that would be the Northwest Division, and those teams are actually very, very loaded, and it should make you intimidated, or else you're a fan of one of those teams, or all, or all of those teams, it would be interesting. And how funny we were talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves, as it would be the Utah Jazz, Denver Nuggets, Portland, for the Portland Trailblazers, Minnesota Timberwolves, and the OKC Thunder. We talked about two of those five teams. And now, we're going to be breaking them down. So, last season... We saw Utah go 52-20. We saw Denver go 47-25. We saw Portland go 42-30. We saw both Minnesota and OKC get eliminated with 23-49 for Minnesota and for Oklahoma City Thunder, 22-50. Only a game difference, but still. This is going to be a very interesting one. So, Utah. Utah is very, very scary. Utah, the Utah Jazz, with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, fully healthy, is a scary, scary thing to see. And then you add players, ready, like Jordan Clarkson, Mike Connolly, Bodon Donovich, Joe Ingles, Rudy Gay, Hassan Whiteside to the mix, and Eric Pascal. My goodness, that starting five and bench is going to be legit solid. Like, who's going to want to mess with them? They were already the number one seed in in the Western Conference. And they just have really good players. Don Mitchell is a dribbler and a baller. He's a straight baller. Rudy Gobert is a defensive freak and an in-the-paint kind of guy. He's that big man that you don't want to mess with. He's that type of big man that's just like, you want some... Come get some. And he's only 29 years old. He averaged 14 points and 13 half rebounds. And almost 2 assists. Which is quite impressive. Then Gerald Carson's coming off the 6th Man of the Year award. That was in a race against Joe Ingles. But pretty much won by uh, Jordan Carson. But both Carson and Ingles are tremendous players on that team. They're great contributors when they need to be. As Clarkson averaged 18 points and four assists, I'm um, sorry, four rebounds and two and a half assists per game, he doubled up or came close to doubling up on each of his statistics besides field goal percentage. But field goal percentage was four two and a half, which wasn't bad, which isn't bad. And he's he's been he's only he's been in the league for 16 for six years now, three seasons, so he's ready to go. Jordan Clarkson's one of those six uh six man like six man players that are ready to go. I I would never hesitate to put that team in the NBA playoffs, in deeper into the NBA playoffs. Because when they're healthy and not injury ridden, like most player like most players and teams during that condensed season, condensed format, they would have been something even more scary. Against the Memphis Grizzlies. Against every team that they faced. So here's how I'm looking at it. You have Donovan Mitchell. The leader. The the guy at the helm. The captain. Just the overall leader that's scoring. That's passing. That's dribbling. That's rebounding. That's setting the tone. Setting the pace. Setting the message on the in the locker room and on the court. You got Mitchell... 
Gobert, Clarkson, Bogdanovich, Connolly, and Rudy Gay and Ingles. That's not bad. Those aren't bad players right there. And then you want to add in the mix Eric Pascal, Hassan Whiteside, and different players like that. My goodness. Rudy Gay's not bad. Hassan Whiteside's not bad. He averaged 8 points last season for Sacramento. But he only played 36 games. In 2019 season, he averaged 15 points. That was one of his best se- one of his best seasons in his entire career. Was the one of Portland besides the one of Miami back in 2016 when he averaged 17 points per game. Last, last season was a disappointment for uh, Hassan Whiteside. But I think he's going to pick it back up. I bet the 32-year-old is going to pick it back up. And you're going to be shocked of what he brings to that team this year. So, look at the Utah Jazz. So, look at the Utah Jazz. They're easily the number one seed again in the Western Conference. Who would stop them? The closest I got would either be the Warriors, Suns, or Lakers. And how funny that they're all in the Pacific Division. The Jazz lost to the Suns, right? It really wasn't a surprise. Um, could you say Denver could be out of Utah? Maybe they'll go toe-to-toe. But I think ultimately Denver will lose. Golden State Warriors will probably have a better chance. So would the Clippers, so would the Lakers, so would the Suns. And maybe even the Dallas uh, Mavericks. But in a long-term race, the Utah Jazz are looking really dominant. But then moving over to the uh, to the Denver Nuggets side, yeah, remember the Denver Nuggets wasn't really that healthy, and starting off with Jamal uh, Jamal Murray, Murray was injured with a torn ACL with fifty some odd seconds remaining in that Warriors game late in the fourth quarter. So that's how that's how you that's how you gotta view it. That's how you gotta view it. What could have been with Murray add to Jokic, Compazzo, uh, Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Bobo mix? Because imagine this. Take Murray out of the equation like we did in the later parts of that season last year. You saw Jokic, Compazzo, Michael Porter Jr., Gordon, Bobo, Will Barn, Monty Morris, Austin Rivers, and then you add Jeff Green into the mix and PJ Dozier. Come on, that's gonna be good. But Jamal Murray's that quick shooter, that quick score. He'll kill you when it comes to scoring time. In twenty twenty, I averaged twenty one points, career high, four rebounds and four almost five assists. That's great. And he averaged career highs in field goal percentage, so he was up. He was also up on minutes. And that was only playing 48 games before tearing his ACL. I'm telling you, that's something amazing. I'm telling that's just something amazing. And then you saw Jokic put up MVP numbers. 26, 10, and 8 per game off of 56.5% shooting in 34.5 minutes in 72 games. Those are MVP numbers. That's why he won the MVP. He may have taken a cheap way out on Cameron Payne's face, almost breaking his nose on in the playoffs when his team got swept with no Jamal Murray, played a huge factor. 
but at least he still made it to the playoffs and everybody counted him out. And then Capazzo was him freezing the postseason. He was showing his back productivity in the postseason. He had these crazy runs. He had some good shots. He made some impactful shots, some meaningful shots, and especially came behind the three pointer line. You saw Aaron Gordon add like 12 points per game. He was getting rebounds, getting assists. He was being another dominant player through his body language, through his force, and just through his actions of saying, I'm on the court, don't leave me open. Then Michael Porter Jr. was transcending into his amazing basketball player. He averaged 19.7 rebounds and assists per game. I would actually give him that six man of the year from Jordan Clarkson to Michael Porter Jr. if it was going head to head, but also respect him Jordan Clarkson because I saw he also deserved it. But you also got to remember that in almost doubled minutes, it was doubled minutes that he was able to score 19 points, 54% from the line, seven rebounds, and 1.1 assists per game. That was huge. In 32 minutes, he was able to do that. That is skill. That's determination to get better. That's just epicness, right? So you add you add Jokic, Murray, Composo, Porter, Gordon. That's a starter. That's a starting five that should scare the holy fear out of you. It just should. Because that starting five is lethal and deadly when used correctly. It just is. So, they can also make a really good uh, runner-up to that second spot. And we're going to break all it down to standings. I'm just going to break the teams real quick. Then we'll talk about where they're going to stand in their division. So, when breaking that down, and when you break down the bench, you see Will Barton, Monty Morris, Bobo, Austin Rivers, Jeff Green, P.J. Dozer, um, Jay McCall Green. John McConaughey, I'm sorry if I pronounced your first name wrong. I was not trying to do it on purpose. But you see where I'm going with that. They have a good they have a good bench and a solid starting five. I'm telling you, that's something you do not want to miss. And everybody's like, Bull Bull, really? We're still on him? But he ha- but he averaged some good numbers. He, meaning, when I mean numbers, I mean what he did on the court. How it impacted the game. How he was just this huge body in the five minutes they played. So, he played 32 games, five minutes each. All I know is, is that Bobo may not be the most exciting thing ever, but he does have a nice three-point game. He has a limited arsenal, but a good arsenal for what he's used for. He's just huge. He's very tall, and he's just able to make guys work for it. He can legit just stick his arm up there and just block everything. He doesn't have to jump when he dunks. That's quite impressive in my books. But you guys get where I'm going. You guys get where I'm going with this team. So don't sleep on the Nuggets with Jamal Murray. But even without Jamal Murray, the Nuggets survived until the Phoenix Suns in the postseason. But they were counted out without Jamal Murray, but then they defied all odds. And you saw MVP Jokic tearing it up, which was which was huge for that team, which was really really huge. So, with all of that being said, we head down to our next team, which is the Portland Trailblazers, and the Trailblazers are something 
that that could be up and down. We still don't know what could happen to or the Stamular rumors and CJ McCollum rumors. CJ McCollum could be traded away in the Ben Simmons trade. Those were mock rumors and those were mock trades that were happening because the Trailblazers are actually interested in that. And they were like, you get rid of Covington, McCollum, and a few draft picks. Could Philly accept that? Who knows? But that was a mock trade on one of those rumors. But for the players on Portland, they have Dame Time, McCollum, Powell, Nerfic, Zeller, and Covington. That's not bad as things go. Cody Zeller's not my favorite. Nerfic's better than Zeller. I'll do that every single day. But he's not bad. Zeller's not a bad backup point uh, center. So, but Damian Lord's lights out, can hit anywhere from the court. That's Mr. Money. That's dagger time. That's just whenever he wants to rip one off and he'll make it. McCollum's not bad. Powell's good. Nerfick's good when healthy. Zeller, good backup uh, center. Robert Covington, not bad. He's not a bad backup either. He averaged eight points last season, six rebounds though, and almost two assists per game. You know, that's not bad in the grand scheme of things, especially when that team has a lot of shooters, but you're also contributing on the rebounding side. To me, that is something huge and sometimes goes unnoticed when it shouldn't. And for me, that's one thing I like about Robert Covington. He's there for the rebounds. He may not be doing it points-wise, but rebounding-wise, look out. He's going to be there. The... Six foot seven guy is going to be coming down the lane and hitting you hard in the mouth if you don't move out of the way just because he's a physical dude, a mentally tough dude that's going to get those rebounds than anything. And then you go down to their bench, got Larry Nance Jr., who they trade for, Anthony Simons, Ben McCormick, Lamar, I'm sorry if I pronounced your last name wrong, Greg Brown, Tony Snell. Uh, Nasir Little, and then all these different guys. It's not a bad bench. It's not the most desirable bench in the world, but you add great depth with Fleur Nance Jr., Tony Snell, and different guys like that. Um, Ben Armour wasn't actually bad. He averaged around eight points per game before he, between Houston and the Lakers in the 2020 season. So he wasn't too bad as things go. He's obviously improved having a career a high season back in 2019 and trying to get his career back on track, right? I'm sorry, one of the best seasons in his career. The other was in 2014 with the Sacramento Kings for 12. But you guys get where I'm going. But this team's going to be something. I want to take the line either. If they keep this core, if they keep this core group, of bench players and starting players, my goodness, you can also have something very lethal. They're a top eight seed team in the Western Conference. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Like, there's just not. We could talk about Palm being the sixth seed, seventh seed, or eighth seed, but they're gonna six. Uh, they're gonna supersede the playing tournament and go right in between the fifth and eighth seed. Or at the max 6th to 8th seed. 
Why? Because they're just that good, and they're talented enough to get into that sixth seed, compete for that seventh seed, compete for the eighth seed, right? Or even if they had to, in worst desperation, the ninth or tenth seed, right? So, uh, to me, the Trailblazers have something. They have something special. It just depends what Chauncey Billups, their new head coach, is able to do. How much they can persuade all these guys to stay. If you're not going to pursue Ben Simmons, right? So it's going to be very, very interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds in the regular season and preseason. And as a side note, the preseason begins on October 4th. Regular season begins in the week of the 19th of October. So I'm excited for that. So basketball comes back with like, with like six, about like 10 days or something like that. Nine or ten days, ten nine to eleven days. That's not bad as things go. So I'm excited about that. Preseason may not be the most exciting thing ever, but at least we have basketball come back. Now getting down to Minnesota. We talked about Minnesota through trade rumors featuring Ben Simmons. But looking at the team they have now, uh, could they get better? We're gonna talk about standings. I'm just gonna break down the roster real quick. Here we go. They have Anthony Edwards, D'Lo, Cat, Patrick Beverly, Michael Beasley, Taurine's Prince, and Josh Okoge. Those guys right there are really, really solid, actually. And I mean it from this perspective. Anthony Edwards is coming off of a good um, rookie season. He averaged 19 points, 41, 41% from the field, 4 rebounds, and close to free assist. He's pulling one off, but I'm going to give him the free assist, right? So to me, the 20-year-old, the first overall pick back in the 2020 NBA draft, yeah, he, yeah he's going to duplicate those numbers. And I don't even go as far as to say he's going to get 23 to 24 points per game, especially if they get someone like Ben Simmons and a replacing of the cat, the big cat, Carl Anthony Towns. So, stay on the lookout for that. That's going to be interesting. And then you have the point guard in D'Lo, who averaged 19 points and 5 assists for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Come on. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be very, very lethal. I actually see him scoring 20-plus points a game. He's going to get in the range of 20 to 23 points per game. He's going to get in the range of five to seven assists per game he's gonna be in the range of two to three rebounds per game he's gonna stay consistently at 43 percent per game from the field and i should believe that because when he played a full season or close to a full season 81 games in with brooklyn back in 2018 he averaged 21 points so he can do it he's there he knows how to score he knows how to stay healthy it just all depends on his body and whatnot. And I believe it can actually work out that way. I believe is going to be as effective as anything. And then when you get down to Patrick Beverly, I said this all along. I would love to have the Phoenix Suns to take Patrick Beverly. Sadly, we were already in the salary. We were already in the luxury tax. We couldn't do any more. We had to get all the necessary guys. Then we got JaVale McGee, etc., etc. Now, we see... That we, that we all should have taken Patrick Beverly, all these different guys. But Patrick Beverly was shipped off to Minnesota, right? And Minnesota's getting a great defensive guy. 
defensive defensively for Minnesota, they need that. They need more defensive guys. Why? Because they have more shooters than everything. Anthony Edwards is not a defensive player. He's an offensive player. I respect his game, but he's not a defensive player. D'Angelo Russell is not a defensive player. Malik Beasley, maybe. Josh Kogi, maybe. Tarn Prince, okay, I'll give it to you. Right? But Patrick Beverly is a defensive guy. You all mistaken him for being an offensive guy than a defensive guy. He's always going to be a defensive guy. And this defensive player is tough. He plays mental games. He's physical. And he's challenging on that court for his own teammates, himself, and his opponents. It's just what kind of mood he is. And he's just been in a lethal kind of mood when he in his past season with the Clippers. And I believe he's going to be this explosive player defensively even more with the Timberwolves because he knows the Timberwolves needed even more than what the Clippers needed, which is going to be very, very interesting to look at. And that's something you do not want to underestimate about this team and Patrick Beverly. Defensively, they're good. Offensively, they're great. Like, where they're at right now and if they keep all these players right or if they're switching things out. I will say, if you got Ben Simmons, you would also get more defensive talents, but you would be um, decreasing offensive uh, offensive talent, offensive players, right? You just would be. And that could be a shame, or it could be a great benefit, right? I would actually say it's a benefit. I like defense. Defense can lead to fast break points. Defense can hold teams within 100 points, 110 points. Defense can make teams more frustrated and off balance. Defense can just create whole new opportunities that offense may not be able to necessarily, right? Bowling as Minnesota team, they're going to be interesting to look out for. Now, finally, we have the OKC Thunder. And they're a ragtag group of players. My goodness. This may be the saddest team besides free players. Are you ready? Shea Gilgis Alexander, Josh Giddy, and Ludor. Okay, fine. And Derek Favors. Besides those four guys, that's it. Shea Alexander is really, really good. He averaged 23, almost 24 points a game, 50% shooting, 4 rebounds, and uh, 6 assists per game. That is huge. This is a breakout season for the OKC Masterpiece. And it really came when Chris Paul was there back in 2019. That was his first season with OKC. They made the 2% improbability of making it to the postseason. And even though they lost to the Rockets, they made some really good strides. And even though it, Chris Paul left and the Thunder had their ride-and-die glory, Shea Gilgit Alexander still not giving that up. So he's huge on that. And then we go down to Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy is going to be something really interesting. He was the sixth overall pick back in his 2021 NBA draft. He's 18 years old. He's ready. I, I, I liked what I saw in NBA Summer League. I saw he was pretty good as things go. Um, I saw that he's ready to go. I think he could be a starter, have starter-like minutes. I think it's, I think it's time to say, you know what? If the, if he works on the preseason, why not put him in there? Because who are you going to put out there? Like really, He's your shooting guard. 
or point guard, who else are you going to put out there? Theo Maldon or Trey Mann? No thank you. I'll take Josh Giddy all day. Then you've come down to your center, uh, Derek Favors. He's not bad. He's a big body. He averaged 63%, almost uh, 64% from the field. Five rebounds and five points and 15 minutes per game and for Utah last season. But you know what? Um, I'll hold off on that side real quick. You get down to Lou. Lou Dort here averaged 14 points, three rebounds, and close to two assists. So in, in his second season, he doubled points, he almost doubled rebounds, and he doubled assists in, in, in seven extra minutes in 30 minutes, right? Um, and more games played. So, look, this team's pathetic. Not because they've had bad luck, just because they don't have a good franchise. Besides Shea Gilger Alexander, Josh Giddy, and Lou Dortz, the rest of the team's not good. Because you have guys like Ty Jerome, uh, Mice Muscala, uh, Aaron Wiggins, Isaiah Robbie, Theo Maldon, Trey, Trey Mann, Gabriel Dak, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Charlie Brown Jr., um, Darius Basilel, and different guys like that on your bench. You got a poor-looking bench. You're starting five. Your top four guys uh, would be Shagos Alexander, Josh Giddy, Lou, uh, Lou Dort, Derek Favors, and... I I guess so. I guess I once I guess Darius Basilow. Yeah, Darius Basilow maybe. He averaged thirteen points last season for OKC. It's gonna be interesting. It's not the greatest starting five in the world. I would just be happy if they win between, pardon me, twenty to thirty games. I would be really happy if that was the case, right? I just I just can't believe that. And to me, it's also kind of surprising from this perspective that I saw the I saw the Thunder were much better. I said they had like a few better pieces, but then when I'm looking at this, I'm like, besides Shay, Josh, Lou, and Derek, um, no, I would never take this team against anyone. Maybe the Pelicans. But I see even the Pelicans will get a beating to that. I think even the 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 Pistons would do that. The Magic, who have no one, I see even the Kings can do that. Uh, even Houston, but I, I just yeah, OKC is in a really bad position right now. They're in a really really bad position. They're just a bad franchise with an interesting head coach. They're trying to make their way through. He's no Billy Donovan. He cashed in with the Chicago Bulls. Now look where he's at. But I'm just looking at this. I'm looking at his roster. Besides free players, everyone else is iffy. Bazelow has averaged 13 points per game. He's not too bad. Derek Favors is up and down. Gabriel Dak, he averaged... Eight points last season in his career season. Um, I'm sorry, in his debut, right? It's just like, what are we doing here? 
Like, what in the absolute world are we doing here? I'm sorry. I just, well, I don't know what, what to say. I'm, like, so caught off guard. With the Pelicans, we can either praise them or bash them. You can easily bash them for their decisions. But with OKC Thunder, they're, like, they're in the dark but also in the light. But having that mixture of just, like, half light, half dark. And then somehow you got three good players. And everyone else is just... From like the NBL, <laughs> I like I don't know. I just don't know what this is. I saw this team different at the time reviewing them. Like, no kidding, they ended uh twenty two and fifty with a point three oh six last season. And no kidding, they were ten twenty six at home and twelve and twenty four away. Like no kidding, they were three and nine in the division and twelve and thirty in the conference. No kidding. That their opponents average fifteen uh hundred and fifteen points per game while you only average one oh five. There was a f- ten point difference. They were one and nine in their final ten games. My goodness. So that would lead to me we're gonna start with worst best for this division. And the worst is gonna be OKC. I would be happy if they just won 20 games. If they win 25 to 30 games, that is a blessing from God. If not, then you have been cursed by your own nature, right? Uh, Then you move down to Minnesota. Minnesota's good. They added some new pieces. I don't know what's going to happen to Carlton Towns. I don't know if they're going to make any trade moves before or after, before or way before the trade down or right after the trade down. Or just before the preseason or during the preseason, regular season, right, right, etc., etc. So I don't know, but given if we're gonna keep their current roster, I would say Minnesota has a chance of winning twenty eight to thirty eight games, keeping their current roster and without injuries, with additional players that came through Patrick Beverly, right? I would say they can win between twenty eight to thirty eight games easily. I think it could be better in this 82-game series, 82-game season, if given a shot. I think they're given a shot because players are developing, growing, adapting to this new league and all these different changes. I don't know. It's not becoming something that I believe the Minnesota uh, Timberwolves can at least get. A few more games on. That could become 28 to 38 wins. They would become in fourth place. I see they'll still be eliminated from the postseason. But at least they'll have that 10 game difference. At the highest or. Right. uh, Five game difference. But then you go down to Portland. Portland to me is a solid. Eighth seed. Sixth seed. Right. Seventh seed at must. Um, I would actually say. They could actually win 44 games. I'm going to take my 44. I wouldn't be surprised if they will win 44. Because how many games are there? 44 and... How we call it? Like, 44 and 38? Let me check my math on that. 44 and 38. What would that be? 82 games, yeah. They could be 44 and 38. I would take that all day long. That, to me, would be a win for Portland. By Portland standards, that would be a failure because you're risking Damian Lillard. You're risking all of these different players, considering if you keep the team. Now, 
if that tension can't be real, and you get rid of CJ McCollum, Robert Covington to like mock trades for Ben Simmons, then you are hosed, and now you could be facing uh, under those circumstances only a 30 some odd win season. So they're going to be inferred. And then I believe it's going to be a Utah dominance over Denver. Even though it was a five-game difference, if everyone's healthy for Utah Jazz, I actually think out of all 82 games, they could win. Are you ready? They could win 55 games. They could win 55 games. I'm actually going to take that. I'm going to take that straight to the bank, and I'm not going to be upset. I believe they could be 55-27. and 55-27. and 27. Without a shadow of a doubt, then you would see Denver come and trailing about 40. They will win about like 48 games, right? I believe they can win a solve 48. I really do. I really do believe they can win a solve for a 48. I think they can be 48 and 34 all day. I would take that as a victory because you would be in. You would be in the playoffs, essentially. It just all depends how... Injuries, bodies, everything hold up and counter out, balance out, and just attack, right? In this 82-game season. We haven't had an 82-game season since 2019 season. Or was it 2018 season? One, it was one to two. It was for the NBA bubble, right? Before the coronavirus pandemic. Before the NBA shutdown, sports shutdown, right? Um, everything shut down. So, to me... This is something very interesting. And we saw the worst team, which was OKC. The best team, in my opinion, is going to be Utah. That's without a shadow of a doubt. Why? Because to me, Utah is just better in this conference. Runner-up would be Denver. And then Portland would be that middleman. Or they're not as bad as Minnesota and OKC, but not as good as Utah and Denver. So they're going to be that middleman. But then you just see Minnesota and OKC sent by the dumpster, just like, yep, throwing our season into the fire. We're gonna, we're just gonna explode the season. This is what you call a dumpster fire. This is what you call legit trash. I, I won't, I won't even blame them. I won't even blame them. But with all of that being said, guys, what are your picks? Like, what are you guys thinking about this? Um, Texas at the Quartz Heat line. Texas at 602-791-2108. Again, that's 602-791-2108. Because you can let us know why you think, for fun, the Denver Nuggets could be better than this team in the conf- or in the division. Or, like, why OKC could be better or worse. I want I wouldn't blame you guys if you said they can only win 10 games. I believe they could win 11 or more, but you guys get where I'm coming from. Just text us, email us. We're here, and if we like it so much, we even share it on the show because we have so much time, and I think you guys like to hear your own opinions just besides mine because for an hour or an hour 30, however long podcast, how long it durates for, you guys get to hear my beautiful Gory's voice for an hour 30 minutes whether you're listening this on your phone ipad uh computer sometimes i listen stuff on my computer it's it's a huge imac it, it, this thing's huge i just blast in everybody can hear my voice 
Like, even if they're unwilling to, I still blast it in my office. Yes, I've done that before, and I'm not ashamed. Thank you. <laughs> right, but that's where we're at. We covered the Northwest Division. That was the Western Conference. Now we have three conferences left. And that would be in the Eastern Conference, which would be the Atlantic Division, Central Division, and Southeast Division. Um, next, we'll be talking about um, the Southeast Division featuring the Atlanta Hawks, Miami Heat, Washington Wizards, Shaw uh, Hornets, and Orlando Magic. That is all we have today. Remember, you can find us at courtsheat.com. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We are now on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, um, Audible. I think it's like Amazon Audible, something like that. You can find us everywhere now. We're, we're just going to keep on adding. We're not going to stop. You can legit find us on SoundCloud too. So here's all the ones I forgot already. You can get us on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, and even SoundCloud. As we're going to be adding more and more, we're going to be getting back on like YouTube, Daily Motion, Rumble, all those different ones, and of course, so many more. We're also going to get back on the IGTV if it allows us. And with all of that being said, guys, that is a wrap. That is how we close out our Saturday. Thank you guys for being patient again and listening to the reruns. I felt bad that I was not able to get a podcast, excuse me, a podcast episode through this last week from this Monday to Friday. Again, work, obligation, school, different things like that got in the way. But we're going to be back here this Saturday, this Sunday, all the way to next Friday. And yeah, that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to take off. And without further ado, that is that. And until next time, guys, until tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., the Sunday special, where we're going to be breaking down one magical topic with some, with, um, with our series, with the Toughest Division series tomorrow with our special topic. I'm Joshua Unix, and I'm going to be signing off. I'll see you guys here tomorrow. And until then, Go Suns, October 4th, preseason, October 19th, the week of that, opening games for the regular season. I can't wait. That's how we arrive in style. That's how we get back into it. Until uh, then, let the outro let the outro music hit now. Hey.